I'm not a biblical scholar. Uh, I'm just a guy that decided to place my faith in Jesus and take steps along the way. I take steps forward. I take steps backward. Um, I'm so blessed to have a community of believers here uh, that are on that journey with me. Uh, I grew up in a home uh, where we did go to church. Um, it was more than Christmas and Easter, but it certainly wasn't every week. Um, I knew who God was, and I understood it. Um, and if you asked me if I was a Christian, I'd say, yeah, I was. Um, but I went to high school, and I started to fall away from the faith. And I fell away from the faith a little more when I was in college. And then when I was off into the working world, um, you know, I was interested in working hard and playing hard. Um, and I don't think the people that I were associating with would call me a Christian. And I think about it today, being up here and speaking in front of you folks, and if I went back to some of those friends and colleagues, they'd be amazed that, you know, I attend church, I'm an elder, and I'm actually presenting in front of a group today. So, um, you know, I've, um, Steve talked last week about the fear of rejection. And I was putting this together, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's a great principle for me. But I realized that um, it's all about if you're on the mission, on God's mission, it'll work. It'll give us the words. And uh, I want to thank the folks in the room that have uh, spoken to me separately and just encouraged me, uh, prayed with me uh, for today's message. So uh, back to the message. Uh, today's message is about freedom. And uh, in John 8.31, uh, Jesus says, If you abide in my word and you are truly disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I couldn't help but be overcome this morning when we're able to do communion. There are so many countries and places in this world where it's illegal to believe in Jesus Christ. And it's uh, illegal to have a Bible. And to have a group gathering like this in communion, it's just not possible. So it's a freedom that, um, I'm going to talk about two freedoms today. First freedom is our freedom to assemble. And then the other one is the one from the song Amazing Grace. Our, our chains are gone. We've been set free uh, through the, uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, that we are all free. So have you ever asked what it is to be free? I thought about this uh, a little bit. Four weeks ago, I was up in New York State. The same time when the two uh, murderers escaped uh, the maximum security penitentiary. And as I was putting this message together, I was thinking about what they were thinking about. What was their definition of freedom? And they're sitting in their cells and they're thinking freedom is being on the other side of the wall. And as I go through and I retrospect on that and I look at, well, were they really free? No, they were running, they were eluding. Eventually they were caught. Eventually there were uh, consequences. So I don't know about you, but I've felt sometimes like I'm hiding or running from God. And sometimes I've secretly hoped that he only sees the good things I do and not the bad. Now, this situation in New York resolved itself. There were consequences. Um, but for me personally, until I became a, con 
uh, until I became a convict. <laughs> we won't talk about that today. Um, until I became a believer, I was a lot like those conflicts. Uh, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I was running from authority. Uh, yeah, in the midst of my sinful life, I always had this small voice. And I never knew what it was until I came to my faith in Christ and people told me, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. That, that Holy Spirit is governing you and guiding you and protecting you. And, you know, when I sit back and sometimes we reminisce with old friends and I hope they don't tell too many stories to my kids because I don't want them to be repeated. Um, but, uh, you know, we're just amazed, number one, that we're alive. And to me, there's some things that uh, we've done over time where um, just as easily um, we could have been gone from this world at that time. And so I think, you know, God governs us and protects us for a reason. I don't know if the reason or part of the reason is for me to just be able to be here today and share my story. Um, but I'm glad to be here. Um, today we celebrate, though, um, our freedoms. And we celebrate the freedoms that we have both as a nation and in Christ. Uh, 239 years ago, in a day, we uh, declared independence. And the thing that it was interesting to me as I was preparing for this and uh, going back to some things that I had seen when I was in Washington, D.C. And by the way, I'm not a big history buff, but if you ever get the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and read what's inside some of the monuments, it's amazing and astounding what our forefathers thought and did and said. Um, I'm going to give you a few examples of those this morning. Um, from the Declaration of Independence, right up front we're talking about our Creator as we're declaring independence. Um, that, uh, you know, we're all created equal and endowed by the Creator with the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of happiness. We're never guaranteed happiness. <laughs> and um, on the next slide, um, the prominence of God in our forefathers, Almighty God, the holy author, all men shall be free. Um, it's uh, really our God's God-given gift of free will. Uh, that we're not to be coerced by men, but through the Holy Spirit, uh, that we are pursued by God. In fact, I believe each and every one of us in this room is currently being pursued by God. There's probably people that came here kicking and screaming that didn't want to be here. I was one of those persons before, and I think we're all here um, because God is pursuing us. Um, let's see uh, third panel in the Jefferson Memorial. These are all things that are in the Jefferson Memorial. There's a whole other one about how government needs to change, but we're not going to get into government and politics and church. It could be uh, quite, uh, quite a good discussion, especially some of the folks I see here that I could have those discussions with. But um, the um, liberty comes from God, and we have free will. And quite honestly, we as humans haven't done a good job with free will. From the very beginning, don't eat from that tree. Okay, we ate from the tree. The first family had a murder. It's just from day one, man has not lived up to God's expectations, and we've needed an intercessor. That intercessor would be Jesus Christ. 
1791, 25 years after the Declaration of Independence, we had the First Amendment. The First Amendment was really um, there so that we could gather publicly, we could believe what we wanted. All of the amendments, the first 10 amendments in the Bill of Rights, um, were there because citizens demanded a guarantee not only of their current but their future rights. These are rights I think we sometimes take for granted. Over 100,000 people annually are killed because of their belief in Christ. 37% of the countries and 75% of the people in our world live in either a high or uh, very high religious uh, constrictions. And I think sometimes we do take that uh, for granted. We're proud as Americans, but one thing we shouldn't be proud of is that freedom and, and that, um, that we've earned it in some way. It's really just the grace of God that puts us in this country, in this time, in this place, so that we can uh, be born in a land of freedom and not a land of oppression, that we're able to join and gather uh, as we are here today. So I think, you know, there's two. First and foremost, we have to say, thank God for our freedom, and then we have to thank all those that fought for our freedom. You know, just in the Revolutionary War, 50,000 people died in getting us free. We've got to take, uh, we've got to really appreciate that freedom. So what is religious freedom? It doesn't mean that we're free just to be Christians. It means we're free to be whatever we want. So we choose to be Christians in the United States, most of us, the majority of us. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, but it allows us to uh, believe in other religions or it believes, allows us to not believe in any religion or partake in any kind of religious activities. So speaking of choices, there are a lot of choices. And in the United States, this is a recent survey from the Pew Research Institute. It surprised me when I saw that. Wow, 70% of the people in the U.S. are Christian. I don't see 70% of the people in church. <laughs> so, um, but another thing that surprised me was um, the size of the unaffiliated group. And unaffiliated means you just choose not to believe. You're not affiliated with any particular religion. Also surprised me how small some of the other religions were in, in the United States. It just, wow, really. And as I thought about that, I started thinking about Christians and if we're so plentiful, how come we're so quiet? There's a lot of other groups that seem to have a lot more say than Christians do. And so as I reflected on that and reflected on the fact that, boy, we really need to cherish the freedom that we have. Uh, we're probably not doing all we can do as Christians with the freedom that we have. These stats are quite different when you look at a global environment. Globally, Christians are about 30%. Oh, back one. That's okay. So uh, just so you can compare, but globally, Christians are about 30%. Uh, Muslims are 23%. 16% are unaffiliated, and 15% are Hindu. So much different. I don't know if that difference, I think about our religious freedom. We started out as a country that said we're going to be free, and 
We believe in God, and we have a lot of Christians. I don't know if people around the world were given the same opportunities, would there be more Christians? Um, what the Pew Research uh, Group does say, though, is that somewhere between 2050 and 2070, there will be as many Muslims as there are Christians. They're younger, they have a higher fertility rate, they're just making more Muslims than we're making Christians. Um, I don't know what to say about that, uh, but I do know that um, even within the U.S., um, we are seeing quite a change. And um, in the next slide, it's a little bit hard to read for you, um, but I can help you out with it. That bolded line in kind of in the middle that's going up from 16.1 to 22.8, that means that in the last seven years, 41% increase in the people that are not affiliated with any church. So why is that? Is it because people are busy? Is it because they're apathetic? Is it because we as Christians aren't creating a compelling reason for belief in Christ? Not sure, but it's kind of scary to me that that's going up that fast. Um, and um, although it's still a smaller number in the U.S., uh, that bottom area, other faiths, going up five uh, to 5.9%, that's a 25% increase in belief in other faiths in just the last seven years. So some significant changes and you know, I believe that somehow the affiliate, unaffiliated folks just need somebody to get their attention. And let them know that Jesus loves us. So if you look at all the other world religions, there's not one that says God loves you. And there's not one that Jesus had a Jesus sacrifice for them. So uh, it might be like uh, when God knocked uh, Saul off his horse and blinded him temporarily to get his attention. We might need to do something like that to get people's attention. Um, but I'm not talking about radical things. I think about my own life, and I think about how my faith has changed. It's been small, and it's been piece by piece. Um, I told you earlier that, uh, you know, we went to church as a child, but then I kind of fell away. I always had that voice calling me back. But I also had people and events that I think God put in my life to call me back. Um, one of those was Lori. So, you know, I loved Lori, and I'm going to do what Lori wants to do. And she's, uh, she set me straight on some things that I was doing that were wrong, and I shouldn't do them, and I changed, and I'm forever thankful for that. Um, just after marrying my best friend's sister, my childhood sweetheart, Lori, uh, by the way, we'll be married 31 years this month. Yeah. Great institution, highly recommended. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, what a blessing she is uh, to me and uh, our family. Um, she's had such a strong influence on me and our children. Uh, she's my partner, my strength, and I thank God for her. But um, there are other people that influenced me pretty greatly, and some of them were in the workplace, and I think that's a, an underutilized place for us to reach out to other folks. Um, a guy named John Meyer, I used to work with him back in the 80s. And John, there was just something different about him. He was strong, self-secure, fun-loving. You know, uh, they went to church every Sunday. And one day we were talking about faith, and 
He said, Dave, you, you know, you'll get it when you're a little bit older. I'm like, well, why do I need to wait till I'm older? If, it, if you're not ready, you're not ready. And I said, okay. He said, but really, probably when you have kids, this will really come home to you about uh, the need for Christ. And that was kind of a game changer for me. Uh, always in the back of my mind, there's something different, something about John that I wanted, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was. He said it was church, but I wasn't sure about that. Um, but the life changer for me was when Lori got pregnant and uh, we were going to have our first child. The feeling of accountability that I had was incredible. I'm going to bring somebody into this world. I need to know where I'm going and where they may go. And again, Lori was a significant influence and got us to go to a, a Baptist church in Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah, I was so glad the walls didn't fall in and no lightning struck when I walked in that place because uh, I, I felt completely unworthy. And I felt like, you know what, I'm looking around and all these other families have it all together. Why don't I have it all together? And, and um, I've learned that all the rest of the families are just as messed up as us, so it's, it's cool. But uh, as a new believer, sometimes when you go in, you put uh, other folks above you like that, and you feel like you're not worthy. And um, So at the time, I started to learn more about Jesus, and I started praying. And I'll tell you, I didn't get into the Bible as much then as I do today. Um, but I was doing a lot of praying, and I would pray when I was riding on the train, I would pray when I was in the office, I would, it just, it was my way, but it was kind of one way, and it wasn't until later that I learned that I really needed to read the Word to understand uh, where we should be going. My point in all that is I bet John Meyer has no idea today. In fact, I'm going to have to see if I can't look him up some way and call him and tell him about the impact he's had. But I'm sure for him it was just a casual conversation, and he went on from there. Uh, but for me it was life-changing. So I said we're free. We are free uh, to choose. We can choose to believe in Jesus. We can choose not to. But can we really choose not to choose? A friend of mine presented me with this reality. Um, let me stop for a second before I get there. If Christianity is right, then if you believe in Jesus, you've got an eternal life in heaven. If Christianity is right, and you choose not to believe in Jesus, or you choose not to choose, you live a life in hell. And I was like, wow. All right. And then we got into this discussion about eternity. The thing about eternity that I thought was interesting is if you take, let's, let's all hope and pray we live to be 100, right? So if you took 100 years and you drew it on the timeline of eternity, right? We put a little pencil dot right here. We could go around the earth and around the earth and around the earth and we're still not even getting started on eternity. So our life here is really pretty short. So the thing that really made me think about is, okay, so where do I want to spend 
the vast majority of my time? Do I want to spend it? And then I got into the thing about, well, how, how much do I know about Jesus? Right? So, like, if I'm wrong in Christianity's not true, what's the downside? Well, the downside of that seems to be I'm in the ground somewhere. That didn't sound good to me. But I would much rather be wrong in believing about Jesus Christ than I would be wrong about not believing in Jesus Christ. So I think God is pursuing all of us. I haven't been able to choose. I can't sit on the sidelines where I'm most comfortable. I've always had somebody in my life that's guiding me in the direction of Christ. Um, it was painful at times. My sister-in-law, who was a wonderful person, a Christian, a band member, a choir member uh, for the Salvation Army Church. She used to drive me crazy. You know, it's uh, how she lived her life was something I could never let stand up to and, and I wouldn't choose to. And uh, some of the decisions on, that she made to participate or not participate in things, I didn't always understand. I didn't always like. Um, and a lot of times the things that she did reminded me of how far I was away from that. Uh, my brother-in-law, who, if you remember, I said was my best friend, uh, a guy I used to party with, and now he was born again. And he's talking to me about Jesus and the truth. Sometimes I had to just go in the other room to get away. And, you know, it wasn't that he had the wrong message. It was that I wasn't receptive to that message at that time. But you know what? That doesn't really matter because you know what? I'm standing here today partially because he had given me that message. He was not afraid to stand up and put between his friendship and mine his faith. I got it, Dave. You don't believe it, you know, but I'm telling you this is for your good. And um, now I see you know, they weren't up on shoeboxes, they weren't yelling at me, uh, but they were trying to guide me in the direction that I needed to go. So whether you know it or not, God is still pursuing each of us and desiring deeper relationships. Okay, so why Christianity? So I paused before I put this slide together, but I think it's one of the barriers that new believers have, and I think even sometimes as Christians, we have to think about, do I really believe these things? Gosh, our God came to us. Our king came as a baby through a virgin birth. Really? Jesus is both God and man. Wow. A sinless life, really? I don't know about you folks. I normally sin before breakfast, but sometimes I wait till a little later in the day. Um, miracles, <laughs> miracles, not one, but many, you know, in, in the, in the gospels, there's 37 miracles that Jesus performed, 38, if you count the most important one, which is his resurrection. Um, his death and resurrection have set us free. It's the only way, um, through Jesus. And so as a person that was seeking, I was reading the Bible and trying to understand that. And if ultimately all the answers you need are in here. 
But sometimes you say, well, I wonder, is the Bible real? Is what I'm reading real? Are the people, like, was Jesus, did he really even exist, right? So you start there. Was there actually a guy named Jesus at some point, right? And so you go back in history and you look at those things. Um, one reference that was helpful for me uh, is a book, uh, The Case for Christ. So it's written by Lee Strobel. Uh, for those of you who don't know Lee Strobel, he was an atheist. He was a journalist, and his sole mission was to go and prove that this whole Jesus thing wasn't right. So he went out and he conducted all these interviews, and at the end, he concluded just the opposite, that Jesus Christ is our risen Savior. And this, this is a good book, but it's not this book. But reading this book helped me to understand that, yeah, you know, what I'm reading in this book is, is true. Um, and I guess uh, you know when when my friend came to me, actually I, I missed the, the lead into this. Uh, I have a, a good friend, uh, Bob Bruckman. The guy's a genius, uh, literally, and he's a scientist and a teacher by trade. And he came to me, and we just again had one of those casual conversations, but it got into. Um, Christianity and how you could believe it. And he's like, you know, it's an unbelievable story, isn't it? I say, yeah, it kind of is, you know. And uh, he says, so if you were somebody that was trying to start a new set of beliefs or a new religion, would you come up with a story? I mean, you can't write this stuff. This isn't God, uh, sorry, this is God made. It's not a man, a man couldn't make such a story. And the story's been here for 2,000 years. So think about some of these things. If your sister or your brother came and said, you know, if your sister came and said, hey, I'm pregnant and it's from God, it'd be a pretty hard pill to swallow, right? I'm having a divine birth. Um, didn't do anything. Um, just think if all of a sudden your brother came to you and said, I'm God. How unbelievable would that be? Right? I mean, think about it. So I was saying about that, but then it comes true. These are, these are historical facts. Right? And they played out that uh, Jesus was indeed who he says he was. Okay, so why believe? What makes us believe? For me, it was... I had a faith commitment. I was trying to build upon my faith commitment. So I had biblical and non-biblical historic references. And as I read through those things, they all align. There are many references outside of the Bible to Jesus. They confirm he was born 
uh, where he lived, what he taught, the fact that he had radical ideas. The Bible and the historians agree on that. They also agree that he was tried, crucified, and buried. They also agree that the tomb was empty. So let's unpack this a little bit. Jesus died on a cross. A Roman soldier pierced his chest, causing blood and water to come out, which is scientific evidence that the man was dead. He was taken down from the cross, prepared for burial with spices and those things, and wrapped and taken to the tomb. The soldiers knew he was dead. The people preparing the body knew he was dead. The disciples knew he was dead. And in fact, at that time, uh, many of the folks fell away because they thought that he had died. And they weren't sure about his resurrection. So how do we know that somebody just didn't take the body? So Roman guards were there. They were placed at the tomb to ensure nothing happened to it. Think about it. The Romans, the Pharisees, they all wanted this Jesus thing to go away. Right? So they weren't going to let somebody come in and steal the body. They were hoping that this weird guy who proclaimed to be God would be silenced. Folks, he wasn't silenced. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him in Sundays like this. Uh, the tomb was empty. You know, no one had ever used that tomb before. I learned a lot in this. One thing I learned in researching this is I have a lot more appreciation for Steve. <laughs> because he does this research and he gets up every week. And as I started looking at things, I, ca I kept seeing more things and looking at more things. I had four or five hours of sermon. I had to cut this back. But it's, it's amazing when you have to start to think about being able to teach something, how you view it differently and how much you learn. So, um, so we've had really smart atheists try to discredit Jesus. It hasn't happened. The truth stands. A um, couple final thoughts and then we'll move on. Uh, the apostles, they witnessed all the miracles. They saw Jesus died and yet they were still afraid. But when they saw the resurrected Christ, the Holy Spirit was unleashed in them in a way that they carried that belief to the grave. So one of the most convincing things for me is actually the behavior of the apostles. The apostles ended up, all but two, dying a martyr's death. They were speared, they were beheaded, they were crucified, they were skinned, they were clubbed, they were stoned. They all died proclaiming Jesus. They held fast to their beliefs, and they took their beliefs into uh, great geogra geographic areas. Example is, uh, prior to the crucifixion, Simon, called Peter, denied Christ three times. Yet, he proclaimed Christ for 34 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And for that belief, he was crucified upside down. He asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy of his Savior's the means of a Savior's death. Those folks and their belief who are eyewitnesses is really compelling to me. 
The other thing, if you're a numbers person, prophecy, prophecy fulfillment. Uh, imagine this, for the, the prophecy about Christ to be fulfilled, there is less than one in, if you take the word trillion and you say it 13 times, one in a trillion, 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 trillion times. The fact is, it's physically impossible for the prophecy that was written prior to Christ to be fulfilled the way it was. Now, some people would say, well, that's man's thing. Man's not that good. Our error rate is um, not like that. So we know for sure uh, through that. I said before, uh, don't be coerced by what man says, but seek the word of God. Christ tells us that if you abide in his word and are disciples, that we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. We need Christ as our intercessor. Um, he doesn't say it here, but I believe the corollary is true. If, he sets us, if belief sets us free, disbelief leaves us chained. We need Christ as our intercessor. We are forgiven and we are free. Amazing grace we talked about earlier. Amazing the grace and mercy that were provided. Best news ever. But that's not where it ends. With freedom comes accountability. We are commanded to love and serve one another. It's accountability that we've been given. Can we love someone and not share what we know to be true? Thinking about it the other day, if 70% of the population are Christian, where are they? I'm sure there's over 10,000 people in this town. I don't see 7,000 people in our local churches. Quite honestly, sometimes I see more people in Olive Garden than I see in church. They're spending the same amount of time. So I think we don't need to be pastors. We don't need to be street corner preachers. We don't need to be pushy. We, uh, we just need to be open to sharing what God's doing in our lives. And we need to live as examples of life. We're all on that journey. Um, for me, it hasn't been somebody beating me on the head with religion or telling me that I'm a sinner. I already knew that. Um, it was just people sharing compassion in life. I've seen that. Um, I've seen faith grow in me and in my children, and I actually get faith from my children now as I see them witnessing to other folks. We're all sinners. We're all on a journey. Um, and I think it's... Uh, Incumbent upon us all to spend quiet time with the Lord, reading and listening to him, praying to him. I don't have it all together. I don't understand all the intricacies of our faith. But I do know that God's calling us to make a difference. And in America, our freedom came at a high price. And in eternity, our freedom came at the price of our Savior. So let's... Let's be stewards of the gifts that we've been given. Because we've been given much, we need to do something with it. Ultimately, it's not us but God who wins hearts. But just praise God that he allows us to play a small part in his grand plan. Let's pray.